0: of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Conor Hanretty. Last week's episode was a pretty intense discussion of what Ophelia has been singing about. The owl and the baker's daughter, the grave, the shroud and so on. Despite everything, it's the fear of her swearing in her little song that seems to get a reaction. Once again, Claudius interjects with pretty Ophelia. He seems particularly focused on her appearance, doesn't he? Ophelia's response seems to be a clue for our interpretation of how Claudius might speak. She insists that she will be more polite so we can assume that this pretty Ophelia should sound like he's trying to stop her from singing such bawdy material. That or he's aware of what the next line of the song might be and he doesn't want her to compromise herself any further. Her response is, indeed, la, without an oath I'll make an end on it. She seems to acknowledge that yes, she's aware of what else happens in the song, but promises that she'll sing the rest of it without an oath. To take the Lord's name in vain was to break one of the commandments, and therefore it was to be avoided. She keeps her promise, and her song ends as follows. By jis and by saint charity, alack and fie for shame. Young men will do it, if they come to it. By cock they are to blame. Quoth she, before you tumbled me, you promised me to wed. So would I had done by yonder sun, and thou hadst not come to my bed. Jis is a contraction of Jesus, so Ophelia avoids the oath of swearing by Jesus, just about. As for saint charity, there's no such saint, although she is swearing instead by the idea of holy saintly charity. For the record, there is a reference to Saint Charity in Chaucer's The Knight's Tale. Ophelia adds, alack and fie for shame. This is sort of low-key lyrical padding to keep the rhythm of the song going. Alas, for shame, the song says. The song is continuing the story of St Valentine's Day and the female speaker who went in and shut the chamber door. Young men will always indulge in this activity if the opportunity presents itself young men will do it if they come to it. Next up we get what sounds to us like the bawdiest line that Ophelia sings, by cock they are to blame. As well as the sexual meaning, which appears in various plays by Shakespeare and could mean then what it means now, cock was also a contraction of the word God. In two other plays, characters swear by cock and pie and by cock's passion. Admittedly, this is never spoken by anyone who's trying to get God's attention. They tend to use more formal words to address the Almighty when they really mean it. Of course, it's not accidental that Shakespeare has Ophelia blur the meanings. The trouble she's describing is as much the fault of men's sexual appetites as it is the will of God. Her song's final verse sums up the double standards women have always faced. The girl in the song's story reminds the man that he promised to marry her before they had their amorous tumble, and he replies that yes, he would have done so, he swears by the morning sun, no less, had she not given up her virginity beforehand. Quoth she, before you tumbled me you promised me to wed, so what I had done by yonder sun, and thou hadst not come to my bed. As we've seen elsewhere, the rhythm of this song trips up in the last line, as though Ophelia's thought process starts to stumble. Just how personal are we supposed to think these words might be? All of this song does seem to be about a young woman who makes moves to be with the man she loves, and who is then cruelly rejected when he has had what he wanted from her. Is this evidence that Ophelia and Hamlet have had a similar encounter? The nature of their relations is anything but specific. You could argue that her singing this song is evidence that she and Hamlet have had sex. Likewise, her earlier discussion that conflates imagery of the grave and the marriage bed. If you want to use this as evidence that they've had a sexual relationship, you can make the case. But it's anything but concrete. Claudius has now had a good look at the state Ophelia is in and observed enough of her behaviour. And he asks, sort of, whoever is listening... How long hath she been thus? He doesn't get an answer, but Ophelia continues speaking, now really starting to give us the sense that she's not at all well. I hope all will be well. We must be patient. But I cannot choose but weep to think that they should lay him in the cold ground. My brother shall know of it. And so I thank you for your good counsel. Come, my coach. Good night, ladies. Good night, sweet ladies. Good night. Good night. As in the other great mad scene in Shakespeare, given to Lady Macbeth, there's a very clear logic to the way that he depicts madness. There's a fixation on little details, little scraps of things that perhaps we already know, and a kind of scattered attention. Almost everything Ophelia says does make sense. I hope all will be well. Now, it's a little bit late for this, but for her to show any optimism is perhaps a sign of this encroaching madness. Who can all be well for at this point? We must be patient. I suppose this is a sort of standard idea of human suffering, that patience is a virtue, that things will pass. Although it's worth remembering that the word patience comes from the Latin word for suffering. But I cannot choose to weep, to think they should lay him in the cold ground here ophelia's mind has wandered back to the idea of her father's burial whether or not she was allowed to attend the funeral she can't stop thinking about his being gone it is a terrible disconnect after the loss of a loved one this idea that this essential beloved person in your life is now lying in the cold ground dead she continues my brother shall know of it now Nobody has mentioned Laertes for several scenes, and it is Ophelia herself who reminds us. Has anyone told Laertes about his father's death? This is pretty good playwriting, as we'll see in about two episodes' time. All of these little scraps are all logical, even if they might not appear so close together in the mind of a stable person. Ophelia's gearing up to leave the room now, and her address to the beauteous majesty of Denmark becomes a little more formal. And so I thank you for your good counsel. Nobody has really given Ophelia any counsel, so it starts to feel all the more uncomfortable. Next, she calls out, Come, my coach. Apparently, this is a reference to Christopher Marlowe's play, Tamburlaine, in which another character called Sabina has also gone mad in the face of grief. She cries out, Make ready, my coach. But Marlowe gives us a rather grisly stage direction, she brains herself. Sabina dies on stage of a severe head injury, self-inflicted, but apparently her scene was particularly memorable. Shakespeare, heavily indebted to and competitive with Marlowe, slips in a little echo of this for his grief-stricken lady. And we should also bear in mind, for the future, that Sabina dies by her own hand. Of course, you might make the case that Ophelia will need her coach to take her home after her royal visit, or some such, but given the unkempt state that she's in, it seems a little ridiculous for her to be calling for servants and her carriage at this point. Besides, she won't be going far. For now, she concludes with, Good night, ladies. Good night, sweet ladies. Good night, good night. Now, bear in mind, the only lady we know to be on stage is Gertrude. Horatio, the gentleman, and Claudius are all likely present too, but unless Gertrude has a lady in waiting, Ophelia really isn't getting this right. Just as Hamlet insisted on calling Claudius mother the last time they saw each other, now Ophelia is calling everyone sweet ladies, and they're all men apart from Gertrude. Hamlet's was a conscious slight, while Ophelia is, we are to believe, rather mad. She repeats good night, good night as she leaves the stage. Again, rather like Lady Macbeth at the end of her mad scene, repeating, to bed, to bed, to bed, as she exits. Fully aware of what a liability Ophelia must now be, Claudius wants her followed, and he says, follow her close, give her good watch, I pray you. Whoever's going after her needs to keep a good eye on her. According to the stage directions, it is Horatio that exits here. Any other staff still on stage would likely have to leave here too, since what follows is a very private scene between Claudius and Gertrude. Rather neatly, it's about 20 lines long, and so it'll be the perfect length to cover in the next episode. As always, thank you very much for your company. I hope you've been tuning in to the two extra series that are currently underway. The Basics comes every Thursday, and the Book Club has a new episode every Saturday. If you subscribed to the newsletter, there will be another one sent out soon at the beginning of next month, and subscribers will get advanced details of forthcoming titles in the book club, if you want to do your homework in advance, and a few other little perks. Of course, you know well by now that you can sign up for it and get the show notes for every episode on the website, thehamletpodcast.com, and that I'm always happy to hear from you at hamletpodcast on Twitter, Facebook, or indeed on Instagram. I hope you're doing well, that you continue to wash your hands and wear your masks, and I'll speak to you next time.